welcome to the Extraordinary Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Monaco, and we're talking sports. And to me, there's nothing better. Welcome to another edition of the Extraordinary Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Monaco. Joining us is a very special guest. He's the Angels beat writer for the OC Register. He's been covering the MLB for years. Pleasure to be with Jeff Fletcher. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I want to kind of talk more generally with you about the game of baseball as opposed to day to day. Uh, But I did read your piece last night. There were a couple interesting quotes, particularly Mike Sosha's, paraphrasing here, but not swinging the bats the way you can. Sometimes you try to force things, and sometimes you get into situations where there's some bad outs, and that's baseball. When you watch the game, Jeff, can you pin down baseball momentum in comparison to other sports? I mean, can you explain baseball momentum when you're watching it live? You know, I I don't know that. I think momentum is one of those things that after it's happened, you realize it. But, uh, you know, all it takes is one guy making an out to kill the momentum, and uh, one guy getting a hit can, can start the momentum again. I think that what is really sort of uh, contagious from one hitter to the next is if the team is hitting better, then each guy relaxes and doesn't kind of feel like he's got to be the whole do-it-all himself, and then he'll probably just have better at-bats. So I think that, you know, once you see a team start hitting, they kind of, everybody relaxes and and everybody starts hitting. Whereas in the other direction, when everybody's slumping, it kind of gets worse. Everybody feels pressure and the slump kind of magnifies. But, you know, on a a regular game-to-game basis, you know, when the team isn't particularly hot or cold, I don't really think there's too much momentum going on. And also when you watch a game of baseball, because it's it's a slow game, it's a developing game, it's it's got a lot of games within the game. When, when you're watching 162 games, you want to keep your mind busy. I'm sure you're noticing detail-oriented observations that most aren't. Do you have certain players or certain things you like to watch, whether it's situationally or just as a whole, as opposed to the regular on-flowing game, pitch-to-pitch? Uh, you know, it's always cool to watch Andrelton Simmons with the Angels, uh, especially he does all kinds of little things defensively that, that you don't see other shortstops do, and just the way he'll make these extra throws to get outs that, uh, that you know, maybe another shortstop would make if a guy goes around a base a little too wide and, and you know, he might think he's safe and Simmons has got a strong enough arm, he can still get him. So there's, there's these little kind of uh, little things that he does that are that are different than anybody else. I like it. So you've been covering the Angels since 2013, correct me if I'm wrong, and before that spent 11 years covering the Giants and the A's as a national baseball writer. Uh, what's the biggest thing over the years? I, I grew up in the 90s, I just turned 28, so I, I kind of grew up, I don't want to say the steroid era, but you know, late 90s, early 00s, home runs, Sosa, McGuire, Bonds, the list goes on. That's kind of the, the childhood baseball I had. Uh, when you look at that era versus kind of today's, What's the biggest difference either from fans that you talk to or just anyone working in baseball uh, that it's either positive or not positive? Uh, that's a tough one. I think the game has definitely changed uh, since then. I mean, now you just don't see as many hits. Uh, you know, the game is a lot more strikeouts, walks, and home runs nowadays. And uh, I think that that can be viewed as, as kind of boring to a lot of people and uh, – 
you know, I think that we'd like to see more balls in play and more fielders making plays and, you know, guys going first to third on singles and that kind of, that's a lot more exciting than watching a walk or strike out or even at home run. So I think that's kind of a negative trend that we've seen. I'm not sure what is going to take to reverse that, but uh, I think baseball definitely needs to, uh, to get some more balls in play. And you're a Hall of Fame voter, correct? Yes. So when you're, I mean, when you're looking at the discussion that's kind of ongoing here in this instant gratification world we now live in of 162 games just being incredibly too much, I mean, to me, I, look, when you go to the ballpark, there's nothing like it. It's still an unbelievable experience. I, I, I still put that up there as one of the best professional sports in person you can watch. I get it maybe on, on sitting on your couch watching television baseball, but for the most part, are you tired of that argument? Is it the same guy that's, you know, I can't watch golf, it's boring? Or to you, is there some actual merit to shortening the season? Uh, I think you could probably shorten the season a little bit. Uh, I don't know that it's really going to make a big difference to anybody if you play seven less games. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's really an issue for anybody. I think people watch all the baseball games they want to watch. Nobody is feeling obligated to watch all 162. So if there's 154, nobody's still going to feel like they've got to watch all 154. So I don't really think the uh, the length of the season makes much of a difference uh, as far as the, the viewer uh, experience. I hear you. And obviously a, a huge huge talking point throughout the season is Otani and Anomaly coming in as a pitcher and a hitter. Um, you know, I'm sure you've answered a million questions about him, but what's been the most impressive thing you've seen of this just turned 24-year-old, both hitter and pitcher, that's really moved into Southern California and done quite well for himself on a team that, you know, is obviously still competing for the playoffs? Uh, just the fact that he was able to, you know, before he got hurt, to, to hit and pitch at the level that he was is just incredible because nobody's done in 100 years and you know you talk about oh there's good hitting pitchers like Madison Bumgarner you know whatever they're not hitters like Otani Otani is a legitimate you know one of the top three or four hitters on the Angels and uh, to be able to do that and to be a very good starting pitcher is just incredible and especially the thing about his hitting is his raw power is just really impressive. I mean, I know batting practice is batting practice. doesn't count for anything, but he hits for balls further in batting practice than anybody, Mike Trout included. Wow. And uh, that's just it's just ridiculous to watch. So you're looking at his numbers in today's time, 279, eight homers, 23 ribbies, and on the hill he's 4-1 and one with a 310 ERA. If you had to choose, Jeff, for the longevity of his career, one or the other, are you going batter, given what you just said? Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of two different questions. For the longevity of his career, probably a hitter, because hitters get injured less. But as far as what the Angels would take, because of what they need, I think they need him more as a pitcher. And I think he can have more impact as a pitcher. You know, he has a chance to be, you know, a, an ace-type starting pitcher, and I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, one of the top... 10 hitters in baseball. I think he's a, he's a good hitter. He's got some power. He gets on base. But he's got he's better as a pitcher, I think, in the long run. And I think he has, will have more impact with the Angels as a pitcher. Do you think... But, uh, you know, if you, want to, if you want to not get hurt, hitter's the way to go. And I know you've alluded to it on the Dan Patrick show uh, in regards to his regimen with, with Socha and, his, and the staff. He doesn't hit 
the day before or the day after he's on the mound. Do you like that? And if they were to try and keep him doing both for years to come, is that the perfect kind of formula for, for this, for this healthy sustainability? Uh, well, you know, the angels, I think we're very careful with him. And, uh, that was kind of what he did in Japan was he didn't hit on the days that he was pitching or the day before or the day after. And I think the angels just wanted to be super cautious and not try to add too much to what he'd done before. Obviously it, uh, it might not have made a difference because he got hurt anyway. And, you know, we don't know when he's going to pitch again, but, uh, you know, I think they have to, uh, they had to be super careful with him. And I think that that's probably was the right way to go. Plus they had this, they have Albert Pujols on the team. And you can only have one DH at a time. And Albert Pools cannot play first base every single day, which means Otani cannot DH every single day. So having Otani have these kind of built-in three days a week when he was pitching, days that Albert Pools could go back to DH, kind of worked for everybody. Uh, segueing nicely into Pools, who signed with the Angels through 2021. Just kind of talking with some of the baseball players I know, uh, playing in the minors and such. Uh, the question they wanted to hear you answer is is your thoughts on the the length of Pujols' deal and knowing that the Angels were going to be dealing with an elder Pujols on the second half of it. And what I was told is that particular contract Pujols signed, kind of to quote Seinfeld, put the kibosh on any MLB player signing that long of a contract. Do you agree with that? And and look, hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, but a- any reservations about the deal the Angels did, or or looking past that as a whole, do you think it's actually more advantageous for no no other teams to sign players to eight, nine, ten year deals? Well, I think that what's happened with Pools' contract is certainly one of the reasons the teams don't want to sign guys, you know, into their thirty eight, thirty nine, forty, forty one seasons anymore. Uh, it has not gone very well for the Angels at the end. I think that when they signed him, they fully expected that it wouldn't go very well at the end. Right. But they were banking on the fact that, you know, if we still get really, really good years at the beginning of it and maybe win a World Series in that time, we can just kind of bite the bullet on the end of it. But the problem was they never really got those really, really good years. They got about one and a half really good years from Pools. The team obviously didn't make the barely even made the playoffs with him so it really hasn't worked very well and i think that a lot of other teams have seen that and don't want to don't want to follow in those uh, footsteps so uh you know i don't think we're going to see too many guys having contracts until they're 42 anymore <laughs> having said that though i i still don't hate the idea of locking up an otani for that long if he's coming into the league at 23 he's 42 no 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 just an eight nine eight nine year deal if he's 20 you know uh, well, or so. yeah i mean it's 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 really not about the number of years it's about the age that the guy is you know like manny machado and bryce harper either one of them or both of them could get 10 plus year contracts as free agents this winter but they're 26 years old right you know so you're still not talking about there's a big difference pools was 31 when he got his deal so that is something you're not going to see anymore and I want to I want to get your thoughts on Trout. I, I know it's 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 anomaly. He's an anomaly and a future Hall of Famer, undoubtedly. Seven time All Star, two time AL MVP, and he's just turning twenty seven. Coming up here in a few weeks. When you watch him, I know he's in kind of a class of his own. Uh, but again, the the kind of national question is why isn't this guy being talked about like LeBron James? 
Um, any watching him day in day out, I know he's a, a go about his business kind of guy. He's still got a little bit of gregariousness in him. I think he's got a, a personality that that can be widely liked. When you look at that notion, do you, do you blame Major League Baseball if you were to blame anyone on his? I guess lack of marketability from just the superstardom and getting his face all over everywhere in, in the states. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's difficult for a baseball player to really have that kind of uh, fame outside of baseball just because, you know, you turn on a baseball game and Mike Trout is bad for eight minutes a game. He might, you know, catch three balls in the outfield. You're just not going to see him that much. So if you're not really a baseball fan, but you saw Mike Trout on Jimmy Kimmel and think he's cool, and then you turn on and say, hey, I want to watch Mike Trout play, you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to see that much Mike Trout. So that's not really going to translate. You're not going to get, you know, from your out-of-sport fame is not going to translate, I don't think, to more people liking baseball. So, you know, all, all that it's going to do if Mike Trout decides he wants to go and be in a bunch of commercials and do a bunch of talk shows is going to make him more famous, it's going to make him more money. Well, he doesn't want any of that stuff. So I don't really think that it's going to help anybody else. So I don't think anybody else should really be uh, upset that he doesn't want to do it. Uh, I think the only way that more baseball fans that already know who he is are going to get to see him more and know more about him is if the Angels are in the playoffs more, which obviously there's uh, nothing anybody can do about that but the Angels. Well, it's an interesting observation that you do only see each player, you know, give or take eight minutes at bat, and then it, obviously the ball flying to their particular position or, or not matters on if you see them more defensively. H- having said that, you know, Joe Buck has gone on record to say being able to interview an athlete in the middle of a game, particularly in the broadcasting booth down to the dugout is one of the most breakthrough revolutionary things to happen for a sports broadcaster from his lens. Do you think the MLB, could they make more of a conscious effort to have, you know, someone like Trout hop on the mic with a broadcaster or on a national game, something like that to where you can hear him talk or see him a little more than just in the field. Do you think something like that would, could go a long way with high upside? I mean, you, you, can, you can't really do that during a regular game that counts. I mean, the, the reason they did it in the All-Star game is because it's an exhibition. Guys were out there goofing off and bringing their phones on the field and all kinds of stuff. It's great to, to show a guy's personality in that kind of setting, but that's really the only place you can do it. Maybe spring training, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's, it's really tough to, uh, you know, the, the game is the game, and you can't really dress it up that much with that kind of thing. So... It's it's going to be tough to uh, to see a whole lot of Mike Trout's personality in regular baseball games. And just a couple more questions for you, and I'll, I'll let you jam out. I know you're a busy, man. When you're when you're as a Hall of Fame voter, I know you're you're assessing talent all the way across the board. It's a couple questions in that area. You know, I'm fascinated with the game of baseball, A, because it, the mental component you have to have to be able to, to hang in there is, is fascinating. When you are talking to the greats, the Hall of Fame-bound players, are they cut from a different cloth from a mindset standpoint? Do you have anything that jumps out to you when you're talking with these guys, how they approach the game or also how they approach life? Is it different than your everyday player? certainly some differences uh you know they're all i mean i think everybody in the major leagues is pretty driven to to get to where they are i mean you're talking about the worst guy in the major leagues is like the top 0.0003 percent of baseball players in the world or something like that so uh you know when you talk about the difference between 
0.003% and 0.00001% or whatever it is. Uh, they're all really good. But the Hall of Fame guys have, you know, they obviously have a lot of characteristics that are, are special even with that group. And, and I think it's a lot of work ethic stuff and uh, baseball intellect and, and that kind of thing. But but they're still all different. You know, some guys, it's it's more their pure talent. Other guys, it's their, their way they've worked. You know, they're all different kind of guys. I like it. And and lastly, when you're when you're assessing a player in the Hall of Fame, just to kind of couple in another sport, you know, we see Terrell Owens breaking headlines because he didn't get into the Hall the first time around. When you look at something like that, how, how does personality and overall, uh, I guess, persona of, of an athlete, when, when they're getting looked at in the Baseball Hall of Fame, factor in? in addition to the, the X's and O's and the numbers. Is that, I mean, there's not really many TOs in, ML, in the MLB, of course, but I'm just curious, you know, when you're breaking down a player, how much, how much is his, his numbers and, and also how he carried himself on the field for all those years factor in? Uh, well, I don't really look at their personality too much at all, and especially not their off-field personality. I mean, look at a guy like Kirk Schillen who's done a lot of things that make a lot of people really roll their eyes and he seems like uh you know not a great guy you know off the field but i just look at straight the, the kind of pitcher he was and that's all i do and i think you know there are some on-field things about you know the kind of teammate a guy is that you you can give him some extra credit for you know if a guy stays his whole career with one team that's a pretty good statement about you know the, the kind of teammate he is and the kind of work ethic he has and that kind of thing but really, that's still just a very small percentage of it. Mostly, I just look at you know the numbers and their performance. I love it. Well, Jeff, I so appreciate the time. Check him out on Twitter at Jeff Fletcher OCR. He does incredible daily work covering one of the better teams in the league and one of the better cities in the country. Appreciate it, Jeff, and continued success. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Now, was Jeff Fletcher, Angels beat writer for the OC Register, again, been covering the Angels since 2013, spent 11 years covering the Giants and A's, working as a national baseball writer, and he is a Hall of Fame voter. This has been the Extraordinary Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Monaco. Ta-ta real smooth.